This is Twisted Travel and True Crime. Welcome aboard. I'm your host, Sandy. Today's episode is a bonus episode to go along with the two episodes previous to this one. This is an interview with the serial killer, William Dathan Holbert, also known as Wild Bill. If you haven't listened to the episodes about him, you should go back and do so, or you might not understand some of the things that Bill will be talking about today. The way we had to go about doing this was that I sent him my questions, and then he recorded an MP3, which was sent to me. The interview will be him reading my questions to himself out loud and then answering them. As I stated in my last episode, I never in my life imagined that I would be interviewing a murderer, let alone a serial killer, but here I am. When Bill reached out to me, I didn't believe it was him at first, but I had done my research and when I heard his voice, I recognized it. My curiosity had been piqued and it had to be quelled. For better or worse, sometimes life leads us to places we never imagined going. Without further ado, here is Bill. Okay, would you prefer to go by William Dathan Hallward, Wild Bill, or Brother Bill? Hi, Sandy. Just call me Bill. Uh, I'm Bill, and, and that's good enough. Uh, I, I go by Brother Bill now kind of as an anti-Wild Bill. I, I, don't, I never really cared for that name even though I was given it, you know, for, for, for various instances um, that were interesting. I never really cared for that name very much. But I'm just Bill. I'm, you know, it's just Bill for short for William. Question number one. I usually start my podcast with a little bit of information about the place that the story takes place. How would you describe Panama? Well, if you're describing the actual country itself, it's beautiful. There's the scenery is beautiful. Uh, the, it's a very dynamic landscape. Bocas del Toro and Chiriqui, the two provinces where the most of the Americans are, is very, very dynamic. I mean, that means that there's ocean, dry places, almost like the desert, rainforest, and cloud forest in the mountains, and very high mountains that almost have snow on them. Almost have snow on them. Um, and so, I mean, like, Bocas and, and, and Chiriqui are very dynamic, diverse. The, the population in Bocas, Del Toro, is primarily Afro-Caribe, which is like, you mean, black people, West Indian black folks, and, and, and the native, native Indians, basically. And then in Chiriqui, they're Chiricanos, which is almost a completely different race. I mean, really, a part, it's a... It's a Ladino race, meaning like, like they're like they're Latinos, um, but they're very country, country-oriented folks. And so, next question. I'd like to follow that up. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would it be, and why? I'd like to go somewhere where nobody knows who I am. I am very sick of being famous, only because. The fame or the infamy which I have gained has never paid me anything and has caused me much pain. And so one day I look forward um, to going somewhere where nobody knows or cares who I am and I can just drift back into oblivion. Besides the obvious, can you tell me what you believe separates serial killers from the general population? Well, I don't know because I don't consider myself a serial killer. I mean, I'm sure that I fall into that category but below the FBI's designation. However, I don't, I, I passed a psychological exam here. Um, I passed a psychological exam from an English doctor, an English psychiatrist that they sent here to give me from England. 
to give me a psychiatric evaluation, uh, and it was a really in-depth one. It took three days, three different sessions for about four hours to give it. And they, they said that, that I had narcissistic tendencies but was not a, not a full-blown narcissist, and, and that was it. Like, I didn't have any, any personality disorders or anything like that. And so um, I'm normal. I'm, I don't have bloodlust or anything. Like, I don't have fond memories of killing people. Killing someone was always a nerve-wracking thing for me, something I didn't enjoy doing, only did it because it, it was profitable. And, and, and so I want to say that I'm totally repentant, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, Next question. Besides the obvious, can you tell me what you would know? That was just the one we just answered. I understand you prefer not to talk about the murders you committed, but perhaps you'd be willing to answer why you don't believe this true story, the story about Cheryl Hughes' dog being at the Browns' home and leading the investigators to Cheryl's body in your graveyard. Well, it didn't happen. For First of all, it didn't happen. Um, that dog, how could that dog have swam across three kilometers of ocean to get to where the bodies were buried. And not only that, they try to, like there's so many things that were said that were not true. They said, Bill buried bodies in his backyard. I did not, it never happened. I buried bodies like on the property that I own, but maybe two kilometers away from my home, a mile and a half away from my home. So it's not like, I mean, like they, they try to make everything more macabre than it really is more. I mean, there's nothing pretty about this story and I don't have any defense for the things I did. The things I did were terrible and horrible and I don't have any defense for them uh, because there isn't any defense for them. However, um, it, everything was so sensationalized by, by the media. Um, anyway, the dog, how is the dog gonna do that? They needed a search warrant, they needed a reason. Panamanian, Panamanian justice isn't like American justice. Um, they were working with Keith and they needed a way to, to justify getting a search warrant and that's what they did. And it sounded like a great story, so that's what they told. And that's the truth. Um, anyway, do you feel regret for killing your victims? And if so, what does that feel like to you? I want to be real careful about how I answer that question but because I want you to understand what I mean. I don't sit around feeling guilty about anything. And the reason that I don't sit around feeling guilty about anything is because I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and asked forgiveness for all of, the, of everything that I've ever done wrong in my life. And I was given forgiveness for those things. So in that, in that forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't have, I'm not required to sit around or even advised to sit around feeling guilty. I'm trying to do things, positive and wonderful things that, I'll, that, that somehow can make up. There's no way I can ever make up for the things that I did wrong. That's not possible. But what I can do is try to do my very best to pay back my debt to society and, and, and be a good representative of the Lord Jesus. And sitting around feeling guilty isn't going to get that done. Am I repentant? 100%. Wouldn't do any of that ever again. If I had my, my, my druthers, I would have never left the United States. I would have taken, you know, or like, I don't know how far back you want to go, but, but at whatever point in my life before I ever killed anyone, I would like to have just taken the rap. This is part two, continuing with the interview with Sandy. Here, let's see. Do you feel regret for killing your victims in the show? I think I already answered that one. The next one. If you could choose to live this life. No, I answered that. Okay. If you could choose to live this exact life over again or a totally different one, knowing that it could be worse, better or worse, which would you do? I would, I'm, I'm in this life. There's, this is a question that has no, 
bearing because I don't, it's, it's not, I mean, I'm not giving you a hard time about your question, but to me, it's a question that doesn't really matter. The answer doesn't matter because I can't change it. So obviously if I could go back in time and not do the things I did, I would certainly not do them. I mean, a fool would, you know, want to repeat terrible errors like the ones that I have made. And so, no, I would, I would definitely not do them again. However, I can't, right? So what do I do about that? Well, I get up every single day of my life and I give 100% of myself to my tunnel vision goal, which is serving Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't believe in that. A lot of people say, well, everybody goes to jail. Um, I've heard this a lot. Everybody goes to jail, finds God. Maybe they do. Um, I've been through pressures in, you know, in the last 11 years in prison that you couldn't possibly understand. And so maybe those pressures make people closer to God and can find God. But I certainly found Jesus Christ and I live for him. And I have chosen to walk with him above everything else, which wherever it leads me and whatever it does for me, good or bad, um, that's where I'm going to go. And so, so going back and living everything over again is not possible. It's not even really something I consider because, you know, you can't do that. It's like considering, well, what would I do if I could fly? Well, you can't fly and you're not going to be able to fly. So, so there's really not, you know, those are, those are questions that don't, that I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about. But what I am doing is I wake up every day and I find God first thing in the morning and then I spend the rest of my day trying to serve my fellow man. Because you want to know the truth about it is I was never happy when I was doing terrible things, hurting people. I was never happy. I was never happy and I was very wealthy. I had a lot of money. But I was certainly never happy. Terribly paranoid all the time. Drunk, high, you know, a lot of crazy stuff I did. None of it gave me any peace at all. And now I'm completely broke, dead broke in prison with this huge sentence on my back carrying it around and I'm so happy I'm so happy I live in the love of Jesus Christ and I don't have an enemy in the world that I know of I'm sure that there are people who don't like me out there and I'm certain that there are probably you know a great deal of many people many people that don't like me but I don't know them and and I don't hate them and and so so that's the best way I can answer that question do you maintain a relationship with your family I'm not going to answer that question that's not my family's off limits. Um, what advice would you give someone like me about meeting someone like you? <laughs> well, well, darling, I'm not a rhinoceros. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. Here's how I'm gonna answer that question. What advice would you give someone like you about meeting some horrible shit like me? Okay. Um. <laughs> well. Well, I don't think that you're ever gonna have a problem. I mean, I'm asking you. Are you a fugitive? Um, this is my question. You're saying like about meeting me in my prime when I was in my terrible, you know, when I was doing my horrible things. Well, darling, I didn't kill normal people. I didn't kill people who were just like neighbors. They make that out. They want to make that out that, that the, the, the fiscalia, the district attorney office, I kill. I hunted fugitives. If you're not a fugitive, if you're not involved in crime in some way, you wouldn't have had any danger to me. I never killed anybody that didn't have anything to do with, with crime or anything like that. I, the Brown family, Brown, Brown was a was a was a uh, a drug runner from Florida who was a rat hiding in the witness protection program. Uh, Bo Eisler was a was a was on was an art smuggler from, from from I think New Mexico or somewhere like that. And then Cheryl Hughes, that's a whole different story that I don't even want to get into. Poor Cheryl. Cheryl was like the only decent person out of that bunch. And so not that anyone should speak bad of the dead or 
that, that I have the right to do so, and so I'm not. But, but what advice would I give you? I don't know. Maybe we would have a drink. Maybe you'd like me. I don't know. I don't think that we would have had a drink, not now. Um, but I don't think that I'm any different than you. I mean, like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know what people think. Uh, it's kind of comical. You think that, like, somebody goes to jail, and then they're like a different human being, like, oh, he's in jail. Like, hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm a human being. And so I don't think that I'm dangerous. I never, I didn't, you know, they want to make it like Bill stopped at the gas station and killed everybody at the gas station. And obviously it wasn't like that. I mean, I didn't do any of those things. And I lived a extreme life, but like I had a normal relationships, I don't, you know, a wife and friends and so on and so forth. And so it's not like, I don't know, somebody like me. Oh, well, the garbage that I am, you know, or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> the question's kind of, kind of a loaded question. What advice would you give someone like me about meeting someone like you? I don't know. Say howdy. Do you like? Do you think criminals listen to podcasts? And if so, why? I don't. I know. I know. I never did until I started doing them. Um, and this may sound. I want to be real humble about one, the way that I respond to these questions. Do I think that criminals listen to podcasts? I know that they probably do not. I mean, I think that most people don't have time. If you're overly involved in your own life, then you don't have time to listen to podcasts. I never listened to one podcast in my life until I was on one. And so I'm very busy and like criminals, criminals. What does a normal person think of that, of that word criminals? It, it, it always blows my mind that everybody thinks that somehow the people in prison are totally different and than, than they are, and you know, and it's like I think the society likes to have people in prison because then you got somebody that's worse than you that you can point your finger at and feel better about your own meaningless and worthless life. Um, the best thing that I could tell you to do, and that man, I, I know that that sounds snide, I know that it does, um, but but I'm being honest. Um, most people, I mean, I, I ain't gonna win no friends saying these things. All right, continuing. This is Sandy Bill 3, part 3. How should murderers, specifically serial killers, be treated by the prison system, both in the United States and Panama? Girl, again, I don't really consider myself a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe y'all do, but, like, I think of a serial killer somebody like... I mean, I didn't know anything about serial killers and don't care even now at all about serial killers. Um... The only reason that, that I even know anything about them is because in order to do what I want to do, I've had to, I've had to talk to everybody from the true crime community. So, like, people that worship Ted Bundy and worship, you know, these people that did horrible things and killed people for pleasure. Now, I want, I want you to be real. I want to be real square with you here. I, killing somebody was always a nerve-wracking and terrible pro, 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 uh, thing for me. I, I never enjoyed doing it at all. And And... After it was over, I felt a great relief, meaning relief in the fact that I didn't have to do it. Or, you know, I never had to. I mean, I'm, I elected to do these things. I didn't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, oh, I, I had to do this or I had to do that. These things, I did these terrible things with my own, of my own, you know, free will. But, but even, but the, the reason is like, the reason I did them was for money, not because I enjoyed doing them. I, I detested it perfectly honest with you and like the thought of torturing someone or anything I never I couldn't bring myself I would never be able to bring myself to do that like a, for fun torturing or like somebody beating a dog or something I, the, like I, I don't know I don't, I've several times in my life I've 
I've stopped the beating of animals. I, I don't. I don't like things like that. They don't. You know, not that I'm a good guy or something. I'm just, just not sick. You know. So how should murderers and specifically serial killers be treated by the prison system? I think that if someone can be reformed, can be rehabilitated, they should be. And if they cannot be rehabilitated, the humane thing to do would be to execute them. Um. Obviously, I'm making a case for the fact that I could be, I am, I am, and could be rehabilitated. And there's people who probably don't agree with that. And we'll see who wins that argument in the end, whether I, you know, whether I, whatever happens to me. But I know that I'm giving every ounce of my being to redemption. Um, people, well, you can never be redeemed. Okay, fine. Don't forgive. That's your prerogative. Um, but you're asking me my opinion. I think that if someone is so screwed up that they want to kill people, want to hurt people, how do you rehabilitate somebody like that? Um, both in the United States and Panama, the, the Panamanian prison system has no resemblance whatsoever to the United States prison system. They're not the same. In any way, Panamanian prison system is like a concentration camp without a death chamber. Meaning, if they just throw you in here, you got to figure it out. Here, I got to buy my own clothes. I got to buy my own soap. I got to buy my own laundry detergent. I got to buy my own food. I got to buy. I mean, they provide nothing. Healthcare, you got to pay for that. You want pills, you got to pay for your pills. I mean, you don't. You got to generate your own money. If you don't generate your own money, you literally have to join a gang or. Or be somebody's bitch. That's the only way that you can survive in a Panamanian prison if you don't have any money. Um, is there anything you would like to share with my listeners or the general public? Yes, I would. And first of all, I'm aware. Listen, I, I am totally aware of the fact that some of my comments to you must seem snide and insensitive. And I understand why you feel that way. But also, you haven't lived my life. I made mistakes that put me where I am. And I deserve all the suffering and pain that I've been through. And I am not sorry for, for having to experience it because it has made me a much better man. I learned how to share in prison. I learned how to love other, other people, not romantic love, in prison. I learned how to care about my fellow man in prison. These things, I had no idea about any of that stuff in the street when I was free. I didn't know anything about those things. The, 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 the stress and pain of being in prison brought me to Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't believe in Jesus Christ. A lot of people believe that that's just a shield that other people hide behind. I feel sorry for you if that's what you believe. If you don't know Jesus and that's what you think about Jesus Christ, then I feel sorry for you and I pray for you every day even though I don't know you. Um, I, I know that there's a lot of people around the world that do believe in the, my conversion and, and um, I'm doing the very best that I can to prove it through my actions, not just a bunch of pretty words, what I do. I work 12 hours a day as pastor of the church here, and that's a big job. I counsel maybe 20, I think I, think I, I, think I counted yesterday, and it was 22 people I lost to. People from Australia, Germany, United States, Canada, uh, Ireland, one from Ireland, a bunch of people from the United, United Kingdom, and all over Latin America. So you say, well, what could you possibly learn from? The, uh, I, well, you learn from people who make mistakes. You don't learn from people who are successful. And success doesn't teach you anything. What does success teach you? It teaches you nothing. What does failure teach you? It teaches you everything. And so I've, now who has failed more than I? Now, if Jesus Christ can reach a, a horrible monster who didn't love anybody like I was and turn him into Brother Bill, then Jesus Christ can reach anybody. Not probably Christian. 
The difference, what is the difference between the United States and Panamanian prison? I touched on this earlier, but Panamanian prison is just a big rat hole that they throw you in. I mean, like, I am in a really nice cell, I will tell you that. I got my own toilet, my own shower, which is just an incredible thing. Um, but generally speaking, it's not like that. Like, there are different levels of security in a Panamanian prison. I'm in a high level of security because I made a mistake. I was in minimum security for nine years, and, um, and they moved me to a maximum security because of an interview that I did in, in, uh, um, with with the the British tabloid news, which embarrassed the Panamanian government, and they're really really punishing me for it. I've been in here for 23 months. I've been inside the the hardest section in the whole in the whole. I'm in the hardest place in the hardest prison in the Central America. <laughs> I mean, they kill people here once. A, I mean, like somebody dies here every month. There's 150 men here, and somebody is murdered here once a month. Not by the guards, by the prisoner on prisoner. So, so I mean. That's the reality of my life, and where I live. Um, you got to buy your own, all your own, everything here. You have to buy. They don't give you even uniforms. They don't give you nothing. They lock you in a box and say, "Have a nice day," and that's it. Um, one personal question I have is: Could you? Are you afraid of being brought to the United States or Costa Rica for a trial? For what? I've been tried for everything, and I've been found guilty and, and, and pled guilty to everything that I was ever asked of, so I don't have anything. Uh, the federal government came to me. I have some little things in the States, right, some small things, but but the federal government came to me when I got arrested and said that those things were not extraditable. I mean, there weren't big enough offenses that they would actually extradite me for, and if I could figure out a way to never come back, they promised me that they would never extradite me. That's what they told me. I'm an embarrassment for the American government, and I understand why they feel that way, too. I got away from them. Um, but, but you know what? God bless America. Really. You don't, you, in, in America, you guys don't know, or in first world, let's say, you guys don't really know how blessed you are. I didn't know until I came here and how difficult it is to live in, in a, in a, in a, in the third world. It's, and Panama is a really high third world country. It's on, it's on its way. It's a developing nation. You know, it's not like, it's not like the jungle. I mean, it's, it's a pretty fa- fa- fairly developed nation. So it's not a bad place, but man, Americans have it so good. Even the, the Americans in the projects have it better than the Panamanians in nice neighborhoods. You know, so I mean, like just having everything given to you from birth, you don't realize how special it is to live in America. Uh, Don Winter, not talking about that. Javier Martin, nah, I ain't comparing myself with that. I think that's about it. So if if I had anything else to say, what would I like to communicate? Bill, what would you like to communicate with the public? This is what I'd like to communicate with the public. Um, I'd like to say that I would like to talk to any uh, any parents that have a young young son who spends a lot of time alone. Man, interact with your kids. My parents did a great job. I mean, you say, well, yeah, it looks like you did a real good job, Bill. No, but they did. They were really lovely, good people. I don't have any complaints about them, but I, I know that, that today's world, it was bad when I was growing up, but today's world is even worse than the fact that the kids can be in their room and somewhere else. You know what I mean? You can be in your room, but you're on the internet doing God knows what and so on and so forth. And so like kids really need a lot of interaction um, with their parents. Whatever you put into your mind is what's going to come out of you. When I was 13 years old or 12 years old, yeah, more like 12 or 11 years old, I spent all my time reading books about monsters. I mean, like real life monsters, and I, I, I promised myself that when I grew up, I was going to be a supervillain, and look what happened. 
what a mistake and what a terrible thing. And whatever you put into your mind is what's going to come out of you. Your mind is nothing but a computer and your soul is like a computer and you're programming it. Whatever you're programming it with is what's going to come out of you. So I encourage you to program it with something good. Like I, I really put tunnel vision on the love of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for, for humanity. And so I'm trying to imitate Jesus Christ in everything. I am you know, trying to be a good representation, a good em- emissary of the love of Jesus Christ. And people say, oh, and a lot of people say, you don't deserve it. What would you have me do? A lot of people don't like me because I'm trying to do something better. They want a monster. Well, you ain't going to find one here. Because there ain't no monster here. The monster died when I accepted Jesus Christ. The monster died through a lot. I mean, it took me a long time to kill him. I had to put him put him down. But it took me a long time, a lot of work to come back, you know, and be a, be a loving and generous person. But anybody can be rescued. Anybody can be saved. And so, so that's what my thoughts on everything are. I love you guys, and I hope that everybody is uh, doing well. My, my friends and family have set up an Instagram account for me. It's, it's at Holiness Bill. I'd ask Sandy to put it on her, on her, 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 her podcast page, at Holiness Bill, at Holiness Bill. They made a joke out of me. They called me His Holiness. All my friends call me His Holiness Brother Bill, and that's a joke. It's a tongue-in-cheek joke like I'm the Dalai Lama or something. But, uh, but, and so I, I, I made an, I asked my friends to make me the account that way. And so they did, they made holiness bill. So you go check it out. And there's a lot of messages of hope and love from the, from of Jesus Christ there. Anybody can be saved. Um, and, and nobody is, is beyond help. Uh, the things that happened in the past, I can't give you a good representation of myself because I don't, everything I did, I was wrong. I was a bad guy. I'm the villain. There's no doubt about it. I'm, I, I don't have any. I don't have any misrepresentations of reality. I'm the villain. And so, uh, anyway, that's the best I can, I can do, and that's, that's what I'd like to say. Thanks, guys, so much. I love you all. I appreciate you all. God bless. That concludes the interview with Bill. Thank you, Bill, for reaching out and for your time and willingness to answer these questions. It's appreciated. As a true crime follower, I've always been fascinated with the thought processes of some of the people and the stories that I share with you. It's unlikely that I'll ever understand why people make the choices they make. Sometimes I feel smug in my reasoning for why they did what they did, but in all honesty, no one really knows why, and sometimes it seems as if the bad guys don't really know themselves why they crossed the invisible line between what we or society deems right and wrong. Thanks for listening today, and as always, I'd like to wish you all fair winds and following seas.